This podcast is presented by The Ed Narrative, a place for reflective discourse on education. Visit theednarrative.com to subscribe to this podcast or our blog. You can also find the podcast on Apple Podcasts or on Stitcher. And please, leave a review to help us grow this community of educators. Welcome to episode 22 of the Ed Narrative Podcast. My name is Darren Ralston, and I am the producer of this podcast. Today we'll be talking with Jennifer Abrams, who considers herself a voice coach. I'm not going to elaborate, but we will be covering it in the material in the podcast, and I think it's pretty interesting to, uh, to understand exactly what's meant by that and how it can benefit you or if you're working with others. This really is, a, uh, I think, a really important episode for teachers, for administrators, for anybody who's working with people, really. I mean, even teacher to student, this, uh, this is important to consider when, when we look at how we talk to each other. So um, I really want to thank Jennifer for her time on this one. I, uh, I had been thinking about reaching out to her when I got uh, asked to do a guest blog post with Teach Boost, and uh, during the course of talking with uh, Brad over there, he had mentioned that he's worked with Jennifer, and then he said, would you like to uh, have me make a connection between you two? And I said, sure. So we ended up connecting through, uh, through that, which was really cool, and, um, and I'm really happy that it happened. So let's get started. Hey, how you doing? I'm well. Thank you for having me on your show. I see that everybody and their best friend has been on that show. I know all those <laughs> Yeah, that's great. It's been a real good experience doing this. So, so are we audio for uh, for publishing purposes? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. So I don't need to make sure that the light looks good in my. Side. No. No. I think that complicates things, and uh, I like to have a podcast where you know if somebody's doing something, they can also be listening and and. Doing, right. doing that so they can multitask. Well, thank you so much for uh, for agreeing to do this. Um, I've been uh, coaching for four years and we've been using uh, your Hard Conversations book uh, pretty regularly. So <laughs> so it's, it's been a good resource for us. I, um, I giggled that I wrote that 10 years ago. Yeah. I've, written, I've written three books, two published and one coming out next month that nobody knows. Because like I'm finally the overnight success of a decade. You know what I mean? Of, yeah. Well, it just took a while, right? You know, hey, you know, what can I say? I, you know, I just yeah. I'm patient. I'm like, you know. anyway. Yeah. Well, we will uh, we will touch on the uh, the new book that's coming out uh, towards the end, I think, and and let you uh, talk to uh, to that some. Um, so well, let's go ahead and uh, dive in. Um, I've got a sort of a rough order of things but it, you know if if something piques our interest then we just we take a left or a right and follow that so i was noticing on the uh, website for your blog that you call yourself a voice coach and that's not i mean having been in the theater it's not the first thing i think of is is a voice coach in the sense that i assume you mean it would you like to uh, yeah. maybe clarify a little bit because i know you've got your postings for voice lessons and things like that so uh, go ahead and um, um I think, well a couple things one I was an English teacher and I taught high school uh for about a decade and I was you know speech communications literature mm -hmm. um and so there was this piece of public speaking right. that I think that was just part of that background 
And I really loved that piece of, of my work. Then I started coaching teachers and mm -hmm. that was about finding their voice in the classroom and are they the guide on the side and, and when should they be doing direct instruction and how do they talk to kids and deliver feedback? And that was voice. Right. And then I worked with principals who uh, were trying to give feedback to the teachers and it wasn't going well. And I wrote Having Hard Conversations and then I realized, people need some help in finding their voice around what matters mm -hmm. to them, regardless of where they're working, in a county office, in a district, as, a, as an instructional aide. And you can just use that voice piece and just sort of extend. Because mm -hmm. I think the thing that's most important to me is there's a quote on my website uh, by Harriet Lerner, and it starts with our conversations invent us. Mm -hmm. Through our speech and our silence, we become smaller or larger selves and we diminish or enhance. And so I realized that I really am interested in how voice right. impacts the person and impacts the other. And so that's mm -hmm. why I think I'm a voice coach. Not that I don't want to be on Broadway and sing, not that <laughs> I don't want to uh, translate myself into the Aussie accent mates and, you know, whatever. But right. Are not really what I was talking about. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I and I'm smiling a little bit because uh, this is, your background is is mirroring mine. I taught for about ten years English, and now I'm coaching and all of that. So I'm like, yeah, I think I can kind of get where you're coming from. <laughs> so, but uh, I do like the concept of voice because it does have a metaphorical breadth that I think is really welcoming to this line of work. Full because I mean, ultimately, whether you're a writer or or whatever, you're trying to find that way in which you engage with the world. Amen. So, you got it. so I thought that that was uh, that was definitely an interesting way to put it. So with that idea of voice in mind, I was wondering, and I think this kind of plays back into the conversational piece, but how does gender and voice sort of iterate itself in regard to the work you're doing? Um, that's so funny that you mentioned that just because I'm going to go uh, speak to female leaders when I'm doing some work in Cape Town, South Africa, and mm -hmm. they were really interested in the idea of um, hard conversations. Yeah. And I wonder, first off, they're female leaders in international schools in, and they're working in Africa. They've already sort of gone over the inner voice confidence gap that uh, I think it was Claire Shipman and Katie Katie K? No, it wasn't Katie K. Oh, I can't remember the last name of the mm -hmm. other one. Um, about some women just they just self-talk themselves out of even applying for jobs. And mm -hmm. so they don't even get the job. Um, and there's a confidence gap. So that's an inner voice. Then once you're in it, the question that everybody's continually working on in terms of gender equality and and women on the scene trying to make an impact is how do women find their voice in a way that everybody can hear because we have people like give have perceptions of us that if we're really strong we're too aggressive and right. we're just trying to be assertive and so to me it's about how can we find our voice in ways that's both humane and growth producing for ourselves and for and for the other and so the, that's gender is constantly at play. It's one of the many things that's at play. 
<laughs> yeah, in reading some of your work, it's something where I, as a man, I'm I'm looking at it and I'm thinking how much of this is something that maybe is something I would overlook if I were uh, in a situation using some of the techniques or, or facing an issue that comes up in uh, in one of your texts or, or, or right no I think that 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 we have to be really mindful that where we come from by gender certainly and how we've been raised and acculturated and affirmed and what has been approved for you to be able to do to be the first person to talk in a whole group for you to immediately feel a sense of, I would like to bring my perspective because my perspective is worthy. Uh, mm -hmm. Many of those things have been acculturated. You, know, like you just think that that's the norm. And I'm always watching it as a facilitator. I'm always watching it as a coach uh, and working with teams whose voice isn't being heard. Why are men, you know, feeling so comfortable to do certain things? And there are times when I, we just sort of, we as females sh shake our head, I just shake our heads in awe and sort right. of frustration because it's like, how did you get that? How, why did you say that? And why did somebody actually hear you? And why did, you know, why did you apply for that job and get it? Like, wait a minute, we're as capable. And the answer is because there's been so much as a part of your upbringing, at least in the West uh, and in mm -hmm. the United States that has, that is sort of just passed you by. It's just been a part of who you are. Mm -hmm. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Would you say that there are any situations you've run into where there's almost an inversion of some of those cultural norms that, um, because I mean, I can't, I can't think of too many, but then again, I also don't, you know, I'm not as in the, the topic and, and the study as you are. Well, um, plug for uh, my colleague, Jane Kesey, who's got a new book. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, she's writing a book with Barbara Waterston from Australia called Step In, Step Up. And it's really about the uh, research and then what can a what can female leaders do to uh, kind of get themselves into the leadership positions that they want. Mm -hmm. um, and they may have already experienced all the stuff that is that there has been sexism. Have I ever thought of something that's the inverse or have I ever seen a male not get something because he is a male? Um, my immediate thought is no, that does not mean that it doesn't exist. I do right. know that my friend Peter DeWitt who uh, writes a uh, Finding Common Ground blog for Ed Week, mm -hmm. did um, a few years ago something that was so important to me. I was one of the 18 women all K-12 educators should know. And he put the blog together about female educators. And he got pushback. Why do you need to do this? Uh, why not male educators? Why not do one just on men? And it was like, because every day, most everything else is men. Men are giving the keynotes. Men are the ones that publishers uh, put out there as, you know, as the ones to, to, to push and market. It's, it's because it is the, the default. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it was a really interesting thing. And I think um, I'm noticing that a lot as I move into consulting just sort of how to push but not seem too aggressive. It's been a, a really interesting discussion. I don't know if it played out. Mm, I think it played out for my coaches in mm -hmm. the classroom um, and how they 
interacted with their students and the number of male teachers that we need to see in certain grades that we don't see and what kinds of role models we need and how different girls uh, responded to a female uh, teacher, how boys did, you know, I mean, it, I think gender is a filter that needs to be looked at and it is but one of many. Right, so right. always as a white female always am very mindful that I have had white privilege. And so there's a whole other conversation. Right, yeah, yeah, that's, conversations. And that's a whole thing that other people have been having with me. A lot of hard conversations about race and white privilege. Yeah. You mean in the, in the sense of uh, your consulting work or just uh, um, as. Yes and, yes. and everything else. I think that um, I had somebody had a hard conversation with me recently that my comments were, uh, perceived by the colleagues that were uh, of color in the workshop as a little blind to my white privilege oh. and was a female white uh, leader and it was incredibly important that she share that with me and I have just started to think about it um, another gentleman uh, african-american gentleman when I was doing a webinar just gosh, last week, uh, was not, it wasn't accusatory. It was, it, it was just a clarifying and humane growth producing moment where he said, I'm noticing that the word race does not show up in this part of the book. You know, can you tell me about that? And it was like, oh my gosh, I feel, I feel remiss. I spoke to him face to face. I talked to his boss. I, you know, so I think that we need to be mindful that what we say and what we don't say with our voice mm -hmm. is heard um, and has impact. So that's another voice coach moment. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's interesting that you bring up what we don't say, right? Because sometimes that speaks just as loudly. Yes. So when you think about what's not being said, that makes me, I'm, and, and I wanted to ask about this, but it feels like this is the right time. Um, so when people are avoiding having the conversation, right? Um, that is maybe a felt silence, definitely on the part of the person who feels it's necessary, but aren't, right. you know, stepping up to do the actual work that needs to happen to have that conversation. But what happens when you're avoiding, and I'm thinking of some of the, some of the self-care posts that you've had recently, like, I'm thinking about what the toll is on the person who yeah. is not taking that on? Um, there are so many, not just psychological mm -hmm. uh, tolls, but there's health. Uh, if you don't say something, there's actually in many situations, a financial cost, because uh, you get sick and you lose it. There's some things that, I mean, there are so many, um, uh, gosh, uh, there are business school uh, was it Jeff Pfeffer? I can't remember. Somebody at Stanford was talking about the financial toll of not finding your voice and being the leader that needed to say things because then the organization suffered based on you not uh, approaching this person, confronting this person. Uh, it, it, you know, it, it rippled out to the collaborative. And so there was like lots of um, impact for the organization and for the product or the service that they weren't getting done. Mm -hmm. um, I look at it from the side of the person who doesn't say it, that they, um, they sort of default on their, their morals. 
I, I was talking to a colleague just recently about how it's sort of like a pinprick on your sort of moral compass or your sense of uh, morality and who you want to be in the world. And it just sort of deflates you because you didn't actually stay strong. It might not completely deflate you in that one moment, but time and again and again, it's more like pinpricks or it, and you lose your your strength in yourself because you haven't spoken up around what you think really matters for you, the organization, the school, or the kids. So where do you want to deal with the discomfort? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Sort of like, do you want to speak up uh, in a humane way at that moment and feel that discomfort and the resistance and possibly the pushback and the, and the uncomfortableness of it? Or do you just want little tiny moments of stomach aches and anxiety and losing sleep and whatever and you sort of just it's just um it's choose your discomfort i guess mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> it almost sounds like the death of a thousand cuts yes, right correct. you know one more one more one more right. um really good at that. we're really good at, at sustaining ourselves with you know like what is it the toad or whatever that can say oh it's getting hot oh it's getting hotter and then pretty soon they're boiled but they don't remember <laughs> um, you know, because yeah. they were dealing with just one degree by one degree. And mm -hmm. I think there are times when I'm called sort of, you know, chicken little, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, and I jump in. I'm one of those people that does not avoid as much as um, it gets really impulsive. And it's so much easier once I've said my truth. I just sleep better. My stomach works. I feel like I'm walking my talk. But I have to learn the skill of how to do that so that I don't immediately shatter and rupture a relationship because that rapport with the person, I'm, I'm planning on seeing that person again. I'm planning right. on being in this relationship. So it's really important that I figure out how to do both. It's important. I'm wondering about uh, like a new teacher, for example, right, who isn't sure if they should speak up. Right. And so ultimately, then, if something isn't going in a positive direction, they feel like they can't stay at the school or they want to go and look for greener pastures when ultimately what maybe needs to happen is that, you know, even if it's uncomfortable, you find that voice and, and that ability to say, like you just said, your truth. Right. Um, because what's going to happen if you go to a new school? Right. In the end, you're going to the new school, so why not have said what you needed to say? I mm -hmm. know that people are frightened uh, that they're the new kid on the block, that they're going to lose their job, that they're right. going to uh, not get uh, rehired or renewed, and that we're told in schools to just keep your head down for that first year. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, two things. One, in the book, I talk about if it's academically unsound, physically unsafe, or emotionally damaging to kids, that whether you're a first year or a, a you know a 25th year, I think you need to speak up. And there's ways to do that uh, that will, I hope, uh, not make you be the young upstart or the pushy, uh, you know, entitled millennial kind of a thing. The other thing is are we sure that we need to actually have a hard conversation or do we need to have a clarifying conversation? And I think that a lot of 
the conversations that I imagine that new teachers are facing might be because they just, no, nobody was clear with them. And what they need is for words, the, the jargon in education, it needs to be said in a much clearer way. And the person can't make them wrong for asking for clarification. And I think they diminish. Uh, well, you can't believe it. We didn't learn that in grad school. I can't believe that that's something that you need to, and that's actually crappy. I mean, that's mm -hmm. not appropriate. Um, and they need to know that that's just the defense mechanism, but what they're asking is valid. So mm -hmm. both of those things I think are, I, and I just fight for a new, I mean, I've been fighting for new teachers for the last, you know, I don't even know. I, I, I coached in-house for 16 years and, and I, I've been out now for, I don't know, six. And, you know, I'm just like, fine. I'm your, I'm your raw fairy godmother, man. I'm going to push you, but I'm also going to push your, you know, your colleagues because we need you and we need you. You're, you're taking care of my, my nephews. You know what I mean? So right. you know, I just, I, I have no, I have no tolerance for people not being able to be, to be really helpful in inducting teachers into our profession. Yeah. And I think, I mean, and this is my assumption, but like, say, if you were to go with the clarifying angle on a conversation, that's maybe a little bit lower stakes emotionally than Absolutely. having to go in and really just kind of get your values hardened so that you know where you stand to have the hard conversation. Right. And I think, I mean, I have quick scripts in my books that are, mm -hmm. you know, when you said this, I just want to let you know, this is how I felt. Just needed you to be aware. And it's over in six seconds and you feel like you said something and the person can't make you wrong for how you felt. That's your prerogative. You stayed on your side of the net. I have people that are like, oh, that was six seconds. It felt like I was going to throw up. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, but we have to be able to do that. You know what I mean? I watch people just do it with um, a little irritation. Like somebody was pushing on somebody's seat and I was flying in that same row, you know, and he just turned around and I don't know. I, I had my earphones on. Uh, I don't know now how he ha had that hard conversation with the person who was pushing uh, up against his seat, but I think it ended. Um, and it was, you know, it probably took two seconds. He just turned around. He said something that was over. And I think we have to be able to not only say it, but we have to be able to get that feedback and not freak out, decompose, fall over, or get really aggressive. So I think that there's um, an inner voice lesson of how do you accept feedback right. and that whole other piece. So it's all inner and outer. This is two books down the road, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I love that I'm doing something on that, but yeah. So then with that feedback piece, is that, would you say that the idea of the hard conversation is primarily to deliver feedback? Um, I think it's to stand up for something that you think mm -hmm. has been uh, not done, not said, not, uh, not followed through on. I don't know if it needs to be hard. Feedback, feedback could just be, you know, I, I thought you were going to call me yesterday. Mm -hmm. And I just want you to know I was, I was counting on it. What happened? You know what I mean? That's, that's feedback. You know what I mean? It's just, yeah. it, it doesn't need to be that difficult, but for the most part, people don't like to, to share their vulnerable emotions. They build it up and build it up and build it up. And now it's been seven times where the person hasn't called and now they're a loser. It's not just a pattern, but it's like a moral, you know, it's like a, 
a personal affront to a human being when it was mm-hmm. just, it's really important that when we agree to, that you call, that you call. You know what I mean? But now it's like seven calls later and it's like, they're a terrible person. They're a moral, they've got moral defects. They're a terrible human being, you know, and we've made it to be a hard conversation when it really didn't need to be. So then addressing it earlier would have just totally uh, avoided. Exactly. Avoided. The the issue. Who was it? I can't know. Was Heenan Stone? Somebody said one time is one thing. Then after three, it's a pattern. If you go past to, you know, sort of the fourth and fifth, there's probably an internal reason. Uh, why isn't this person doing this? What's going on with that? And staying curious, but now all of a sudden we've created a, a whole kind of values judgment around the individual. And I think if it goes past the third time, we really make it into that person is, is wrong. It's there like becomes a character yes, issue yes, at play. Correct, correct. Yeah, yeah, right. One of the things I was wondering too is when you look. I mean, the the type of work that you've got in in your in your books is about the workplace. But how is a hard conversation different on a personal mm-hmm. issue versus this? I mean, are you are you looking at similarities here, or is it uh, night and day? I no, I don't think it's night and day. Okay. I think completely the same. Um, my, I always, I tell this story and my father passed away about a year ago, uh, April, but before he passed away, he was blind in one eye, had MS, uh, and was still driving. Okay. Now I had telephone calls from my aunt. I had calls from his, his friends. Finally, my brother called me and said, you wrote the book. You talked to him. <laughs> So I had to figure like, out. Dang, I did write the book, didn't I? I was like, oh. And he, he looks, he's so, he got, he has, you know, he was always my little brother. And, you know, I'm going to be 52 in a, in a week or so. And he's going to be 50, you know what I mean? So he's a little brother, but he's taller than me. And he's really getting mature, you know? And he says that to me. And I thought, oh, my, okay, all right, you know, okay. Uh, I guess I'm the big sister. Yeah, I wrote the book. Okay, I have to live it, right? So. I write the book, I use the exact same script with my father, okay? I set the tone, I name the issue, I give some details about that he, even he's told me that he can't see the the temperature on the oven, you know, meanwhile he's driving, you know, I mean, it's just, you know, and that he's gonna hurt somebody and, you know, and this is really not good and Adam and I have some ideas and blah, blah, blah. And he told me to go to hell. I mean, he really did, but I used the script. And at the end of that, he said, you know, got, got really angry at me, but I felt I was humane and growth producing. It was a personal thing. And ultimately he dinged the car. Let's just put it that way. And he, and I looked at him, I said, we've had this conversation. And you he mean said, he yeah. had an accident as well? An accident. Yeah. Okay. And, and he didn't hurt anybody and he didn't, he sort of, ding, he, he kind of, he bruised himself and the car. Let's put it that mm-hmm. way. But I have to tell you that I said, we've had this conversation. You know how we feel about it. And he said, you're right. And then he was done driving. It may, but I used, so just to your point, I used the script in my personal life. Okay. Mm -hmm. I would continue if I needed to have our conversation. I'm trying to decide if I did it with my ex-boyfriend. I probably did smaller, quick scripts with, with my ex. Just thinking about like to say something 
with the setting the tone, I think is impersonal. You have to set the tone. I mean, I have friends who will start, Jen, I love you. You know I love our friendship, but you pissed me off. We got to talk. I mean, it's a personal thing, but she at right. least set the tone and she named the issue humanely and told me what impacted her and it was over. And I feel like it's not different. Yeah. I just don't think it's different. People usually come to my workshops and say, this is going to help my marriage. I'm going to understand my <laughs> wife. And I'm like, and what are you going to do as principal? <laughs> right. So they, immediately you know can see it in their personal life they talk to their mother-in-law they talk to their son i've had people talk to their children about drugs i've had people need to say things before a wedding i mean really i i true story and kristen anderson could verify this she she worked with corwin press at the time and then i'll be mm -hmm. done with my personal stuff she's now doing her own stuff but she worked at corwin she came up to me and i said I said, what's going on? She said, I have a picture of a baby in front of me that somebody brought to the Corwin Press booth. I said, God, that's wonderful. No, it's a baby because the woman came to your workshop, went home and said, no, I really, really need to have a conversation with you. I want a baby. Told her husband, had a hard conversation, got pregnant, had the baby, brought the picture and brought it to Corwin Press. And I said, where is the, you know, and she goes, oh, it was on her phone. It was on her phone. I don't know who she was. I'm like, oh my God. That would have been like I would have put her on the front of my web page, you know. Right. Oh, hello, me, baby, you know, husband. Like, right. so I think I think it it's about finding your voice around what matters in a humane way. And I, Kristen Anderson, would tell you that actually happened. So I think it's personal and professional. That's pretty funny. <laughs> I know, right? You never know what kind of impact you're going to have. I can't wait to meet this kid. I'm sure he's like five now. I don't know. Well, who knows? Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe one day, right? <laughs> I'm here because of you. <laughs> oh, man, that's awesome. Isn't that um, great? It is. So um, I don't know how much you want to devote to the new book, um, but I want to make sure you have plenty of time if you want to get into it. I definitely want to share with you what I'm going to do in that book. But do you have any other questions about anything else that you um, section? It's funny. I think we kind of organically hit most of the stuff I was I was heading towards. And I do have a couple other things, but I think I'll probably save those for a little later okay. as we start heading towards wrap up. Um, okay. That's great. Uh, I do actually wait. No, I do have one thing that I think maybe plays into that story you told about your dad telling you to go to hell. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, so looking at a situation like that, how, when is it okay to take no for an answer and how do you deal with that? Mm. Right. Cause I, I think it's something that I can, I, I saw a couple different places where it came up in, in your writing. I think, um, in the hard conversations unpacked, I have, what if they say this to you? What if they say that to you? How do you respond? And I think that there are certain times when the person can say, I can't handle this right now, or I don't want to think about this right now. Then the question is, what, what do you need to say? Can you say, well, it's not going off our plate. And so take a minute. I know you can't handle it right now, but I got to circle back to you on it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You have to decide what is the, is it a, it, does it have to be done immediately? Uh, is it, is it time for food for thought? If they yell at you as my dad did and it extends past that, even though they say no, you could say, 
you know what, I don't like how you said it and I can't have a conversation with you if you yell at me, but I will respect your no for now. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Talk about the process and not the content. There's so many things. I just, I think if they say no and it's educationally unsound, physically unsafe or emotionally damaging and you have a you mean, the, the, you mean the way that they say no is is damaging or what you were talking to them about can oh. is something that was educationally unsound physically unsafe or emotionally damaging like you know what i don't want you i'm being really uh, over the top with this i don't i you cannot hit the children and the person goes no i'm still into corporal punishment you know what i mean yeah that, then the answer is i i can't accept that no do you know what mm -hmm. i mean like this needs to go to a further conversation. So when I say if it's educationally unsound, physically unsafe or emotionally damaging, and the person says no, are you the person in authority? Uh, do you need to bump it up? Um, who needs to get involved? Um, what's a next step? That, that to me is like, maybe no, you know what I mean? Like no is, cannot be the case. Mm -hmm. If you think that they say, I, I just, I don't agree with you right now. Um, and you say, okay, well, let's have a conversation about it. Um, a little bit later, I don't think it can go off our plate. It still needs to be discussed. Um, or you, you're not agreeing. You're not going for consensus here. Well, let's circle back. Let me think about why I think I, what I think and what you, you think about what you think. Let's see if we can come to a compromise. I mean, I think it depends on what the content is. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I can see that. Um, and maybe I'm being too dramatic about it, but... I mean, I also have people who will say, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, and try to give a lot of re reasons why they can't do something. That's a different thing. So they're saying no, because they're offering you a lot of, I'm not, yeah, but it's not really, you know, mm -hmm. I'm blaming other people, you know, you're to this. You can, you've got to kind of look underneath that and see is this a knowledge thing? Is this a skills thing? Is this a belief thing? Is this a learning difficulty that they're having? Is this, and then maybe you can massage the resistance and know mm -hmm. with that, which that, which would really lead to my next book. So that's <laughs> actually, that's actually a real, a real connection. Well, before we get to the next book, so you had mentioned, um, you know, am I the person in authority, right? So say you aren't and you have to do that. How does that adjust maybe what you just explained? Um, I, you, I, I don't know. If you're the coach and any of those three things happen, I wonder if there needs to be a clarifying conversation with the head of the coaching program as to if you see something, even though you're not this principal, that's educationally unsound, physically unsafe, or emotionally damaging, what is the next step? Is it a coaching question? Is it a going back to the head of the coaching program and having them have a conversation over to the supervisor? Is it, can I get some additional um, time with you to share my point of view and why I think it's really important. And I know you disagree with me, but the dialogue really, I think is important to continue. I don't know. I think it really depends on the intensity of the no and the concern that you had to begin with. Okay. You know what I mean, um, I've had people who are like, 
I don't even think that's a problem. So they, so for example, if I notice that a teacher has no active engagement of students for 55 of the 90 minutes of her block schedule and I approach it and I say to her, this is my noticing. And she said, so what? I don't think that's a problem. Mm -hmm. That's sort of a no, but it's right. not said that way. You know what right. I mean? And at which point I'm not going to rush, you know, to the superintendent and say, remove this teacher. What I'm going to talk about is the impact on the students, possible other ways that we could, that we could look at it, uh, highlight the importance of why I, we think that engagement is critical. I'd line it to the teaching standards, mm -hmm. speak to it about, you know, I mean, really kind of coach and collaborate and then maybe move a little bit more directive with the language, but you, you don't have that poll. I mean, you know, so there's a lot of different ways to say no. Right. Right. Without saying no. And so I have to approach them with different kinds of conversations. Yeah. If that makes okay. sense. Well then let's go ahead and, uh, and head into uh, your new book, uh, Swimming in the Deep End. Um, yeah. So what, why don't we start with the title? Why, why that for the title? Uh, I, um, really love Amy Poehler and Amy Poehler said, mm -hmm. I want to, I'm interested in people who want to swim in the deep end. Mm -hmm. And I like that risk taking approach. I like that um, kind of uh, provocative way of looking at it. I think that there's a lot of, I don't know, kind of excitement in the deep end. Okay. As a, as a concept. I also know that I think about it like literally figuratively of, you know, needing to hold yourself up and, and not have your feet touch the floor of the pool in the deep end. And that also resonates with all of the new teachers that I worked with that now have coordinator jobs or have moved into administration or department heads or whatever, mm -hmm. move from teaching in the classroom to what I consider a deep end piece, which is really trying to facilitate adults learning and moving initiatives forward. And so I use the first part of the title as it's really hard to kind of keep yourself afloat yeah. and what are the skills that it takes. And then Solution Tree published this book and they were like, that's way too metaphorical. We need a really <laughs> sexy um, a really sexy uh, subtitle. So we're going to call it Swimming in the Deep End, Four Foundational Skills for Leading Successful School Initiatives. All right. And I thought, God, that's so sexy. <laughs> yeah. Catchy, really, really fun. Um, but they said it's exactly what it's about. I, I think, yes, at its most um, literal. Mm -hmm. And you do not need to be in charge of rolling out an initiative to benefit from reading this book. If you are a group member, a team member, a department member, a person who is a new uh, coordinator or a new AP, when you're working with adults, there are four foundational skills that I think you need if you're going to try to make change if you're gonna to try to lead them toward anything that you're trying to work on, a new literacy curriculum, mm -hmm. instructional coaching, blended learning, SEL, I mean, name, name the initiative. Think before you speak so that you can communicate the purpose and rationale and impact, anticipate resistance, understand it, 
and modify for it so that it can be easier to do the work, respond to said resistance without being a jerk (laughs) and frustrated, (laughs) hence back to hard conversations, and then manage yourself through all of this without getting an ulcer. So (laughs) that's really really the four foundational skills. And that's what I think people who are swimming in the deep end need to do. They gotta have the stamina. And they've got to have the skill and they've got to have the self-talk and the outer talk. And so that's what the book's about. And um, I mean, just to even get the, just to get the cover to be done the the way that I thought really would make sense uh, was a swimming in the deep end back and forth with the graphic designer. Hmm. Uh, They wanted to do um, a, a lot of life jacket, a, um, an inner tube. Um, like the life preserver? A life preserver. No. no. It's not about sending you a life preserver and all is going to be well. It's about building up your strength to be able to swim mm-hmm. in the deep end. We're swimming. It is a verb. I am not going to save you. It's a constant building up your strength internally and externally to be able to move and swim. So I was like, no, no, we're not doing a life preserver, no life jacket, no on, um, oh my gosh. I mean, it was just really funny, you know, but I mean what I mean. It's not about, it's not about playing in the deep end. It's really about swimming, you know, it's about trying. Well, this is like a very, and this brings it maybe back a little bit to, uh, to the origins of your education uh, career, but like thinking about just that very Englishy idea of the persistent theme through everything, Uh right? You don't want to have that inconsistency, um, especially when a cover is the first thing you see. Right. It's very pretty. It aligns with all the rest of my book covers and it it works in the right uh, color scheme. Mm -hmm. Um, But, and it's catchy on a exhibit hall bookshelf, but I really am unfortunately or fortunately an English teacher and I want- I wouldn't say unfortunately. Well, I know. I mean, <laughs> me, it's like I care deeply about that, mm. you know, that the, that the metaphors stay aligned, you know, and that um, people can grasp it and, um, and really see themselves in the work and mm. how hard it is to do certain things. So. Yeah. And so one of the things that I, I think, though, that tends to be underplayed by a lot of folks who don't, you know, think about maybe the way messages are delivered is the importance of a metaphor, right? Mm -hmm. How often is a metaphor used to really elucidate and create understanding for a situation that nobody really has, um, you know, think about maybe some of the situations that somebody might find themselves in. Well, then you either say, well, it's like, or, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, that's a simile, but you know, you know what I mean? Similes are a form of metaphor. That's true. Um, I think it is huge. And I, I talk about when you're doing that first skill, uh, thinking before you speak, to do both. Know your data. Know your research. Know the reason why and the effect size mm-hmm. uh, of what uh, you're trying to do and why it's valuable. But also tell stories 
provide a language that will involve the person, go to a different part of them. It's why the arts are so compelling. It's why we need to bring just sort of metaphors and art and music and language into kind of uh, moving somebody toward really wanting to hook on to a given initiative. And I think that the problem has been that whole think before we speak section, people get completely overwhelmed, number one, and I need to kind of work with people to what are the top things you need to know. The second thing is people say, I do not need to know or think before I speak. Somebody from on high told me I have to implement this. The thinking should have been done. It's their fault. They didn't tell me. I just need part two, which is anticipating the resistance and how I can't act like a jerk part three. <laughs> and I say, and one of the things that could help you out is if you take on the leadership of asking for some of these questions to be answered so that you can champion this rollout. Here are some things that, that you need some more insight so you can communicate it more effectively, da 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 da. And people are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's a thinking piece. So people before break on a one day workshop are like, this is so hard because it's, it's cognitively challenging. It's not what we do yet. When we do it, we have such a firm ground to stand on and then meet people where they need to be. Like, like people will ask you, going back to that whole resistance thing, why are we doing this? Who's going to provide the skills for this? Why is this the thing we're doing now? Uh, who's going to be in charge of it? Knowing those answers before you roll it out would be a good idea. Then you wouldn't have as much resistance. So it's not rocket science, but it's, it's difficult and it, it takes time. Time consuming, sounds overwhelming. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's, it's time intensive and you got to do the deep thinking. And I think things might be better. Not that it's like, oh, yes, absolutely. Let me change my whole life. You know, right. I'm sure all teachers aren't going to say that. But I think that it helps to mm -hmm. think before you speak. Well, and, and I know, uh, you know, I mean, nobody's really ever inspired by somebody who says, well, I was told to tell you that. <laughs> yes, you know? I totally agree. <laughs> you know, I, yep. I, I, I was just, I took this job and they told me now I have to do MTSS. So here I am, five slides. And mm -hmm. uh, there you go. And it's like, really? It, it's just so, yeah, they're not, yep. they're not inspired. Inspired. That's an interesting idea. Do you feel inspired by initiatives? Yeah. Only when they're handed to me through someone else. I'm sorry, what were you saying? No, it's tricky stuff. And I want to help people because it's, you got to build up your, your bandwidth, your stamina to do it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, one of the things I want to ask, I want to ask one more question, then I'll turn it over to you. If you have something you want to add, maybe something we haven't covered, um, whatever the case may be. But um, so thinking about the coaching work and, and the work you do with, uh, with folks, um, who is or how do you uh, get coaching for yourself in order to maybe help push you along to, uh, towards uh, helping, you know, the folks you're working with? Mm, that's a great question. Um, well, spontaneously, by getting the feedback that I um, that I really seek out from people in my in my workshops, to co-writing or co-presenting 
with somebody. Um, and the next two books that are soon to be, I've just signed the contract today for uh, a book with a gentleman named Bill Summers about adult learning cultures. And I don't, we don't know what the name of that's going to be. So just working with somebody else. And once in a while, I don't have a coach, but I seek out opportunities to attend PD with a group called Learning Omnivores. Uh, hmm. Just a shout out for my group. Uh, Learning Omnivores was started by Art Costa, Jim Roussin, um, Bill Summers, and Barbara Lawson. They were all coaches or writers who never had enough time to get any of PD, any of the PD that they needed. And so they created a place. So let's just say Andy Hargraves uh, is somebody that we saw. We mm -hmm. go to Andy, we all fly to the place that the person lives. We put ourselves up in a hotel and we ask them to design a workshop for us. And then we spend the night before and the day after talking about either what we've read or what just happened. And so I get sort of coached through that because everybody there is a coach. Right. And so every conversation is an honest to God coaching conversation. You can't take a walk to the bathroom without somebody <laughs> saying, so what are some of your thoughts about how this could apply in your life? You know, I mean, it's like <laughs> everybody is like coaching everybody constantly. Um, and so those are some of the places and I seek out a lot of feedback on my book and I have a mm -hmm. lot of cocktails with a lot of people <laughs> where I'm constantly asking people to kind of just be a sounding board. I'm pretty self-reflective. So I just need that person to ask a few questions mm -hmm. and I'm off. Awesome. Um, what, what's maybe one of the things that's come out of there that you really value from that process? Thank you for the coaching question. Um, <laughs> that's contagious. I think in this next book that I'm working on with Bill, it's been just reading back and forth and talking back and forth about how we see adult learning needing to take shape in schools. So that's just one thing that's happened in the mm -hmm. last month. Um, just the feedback from editors, the, the conversations about just how you want to communicate with people. I've, got, I've just got a lot of people that that give me a lot of feedback on a lot of articles and a lot of books and a lot of this and a lot of that and a lot of workshops that, um, yeah, but Bill Summers just starting to help me shape this next book has been the most interesting. I also am reading a lot of Ellie Drago Severson's work mm -hmm. and she does adult development work and she wrote a book called Tell Me So I Can Hear You and about pitching at different levels for people developmentally so that they can hear, mm -hmm. hear you and sort of noticing where I'm at all the time and where I'd like to be in my growth. And I don't know. And I have a lot, I'm, I've turned into an introvert huh, in a interesting. way um, more than I've ever been. I'm, I'm moving from extrovert to introvert. And so I'm spending a lot of time just sort of thinking and thinking. Mm -hmm thinking and it's 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 um almost self-coaching in that way hmm. if that makes sense yeah it's weird but i ask myself a lot of different questions anyway that's it cool that's what I'm doing. a good question yeah thank you um so do you have uh anything that uh, we didn't cover that maybe you'd like to uh throw in the mix for us one thing about um my generational savvy work and the the work on being the multi-generational workplace. Mm -hmm. 
that that one filter, just to remind people that your, your age and when you started teaching and how you were inducted into the profession may not be the way that the new folks that are 22 need to be inducted, want to be inducted, what supports they need may not be what you needed, and um, to not look down on them as demanding, but to really seek out from them what would be helpful because they're going to take over from us and we need them to stay. Yeah. So it's it's so. just a critical, it's a really important thing that I don't think that people look at enough because we're all professionals, mm -hmm. we're all teachers. And I guess I've traveled enough and teaching looks different, different places, schooling, parent communication, um, what we should be learning. And so if we're looking at all of that, we also have to look at how do we bring people into our profession and what do they need and how might we need to modify to support them? Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to talk with me. I, I had a good time. Uh, I, I had a good time talking with you. So much appreciated. Yeah. What a yeah, treat. Thank you. Thank you. I had a good time. Talk yep. to you later. Yeah. Okay. Take care. Bye. Bye. So I want to thank Jennifer Abrams again for joining me in that conversation. It's, it's interesting when, when I talk about stuff like that, or how, I guess I should say when I have conversations like that with somebody, I often find that I already know a lot of this stuff, but the thing is, is that I haven't realized it, right? It's a, it's a thing about um, knowing but not understanding or, or, or maybe not putting the pieces together anyway. So I really appreciated that, and I feel like uh, this is something that, you know, this episode in particular would be a benefit for new teachers, um, as well as anybody at any point in their career, but, but new teachers especially, because I feel like they often um, have a feeling that they just got to take the punches and deal with whatever's thrown at them by sucking it up, which isn't necessarily always the healthiest thing, and be quite honest, it doesn't progress the aims of an organization, right? If we're trying to be inclusive and thoughtful and positive and constructive with our students and creating an environment for them to grow, well, then that should also apply for the people who are putting that environment in place, you know, the staff, the faculty, the administration, all of the, all of the people. And so I think, um, I think this was a helpful discussion towards, you know, being able to, to think through some of those uh, concepts. So make sure you check out her new book. Uh, it is called Swimming in the Deep End, and that will be out at the end of March. And then also, if you would like to follow her blog, voice lessons or maybe you want to take a look at where she's going to be speaking or, or what she's got coming up and, and or just general news um, you can go to her website which is jenniferabrams.com so definitely check that out as far as me if you would like to reach out you can use twitter i have the uh, twitter handle at the ed narrative and then also there's a website where you can find all the podcasts and blog posts um, and that is theednarrative.com. So, I hope you enjoyed this episode. We've got another one 
next month that has already been edited and produced. It's a little different from what I've done in the past. We did a live podcast for Community Middle. So we did this in front of middle schoolers, um, and we were talking about the history of uh, segregation and desegregation in Charlottesville and Albemarle County Public Schools with Lorenzo Dickerson, who is a documentary filmmaker, and he also has started a African-American film fest in July in Charlottesville, and it's called the Maupin Town Film Festival. So uh, anyways, if you want to look anything up on him, um, that episode will be coming out a month from now. I appreciate you listening. Thank you, and I'll catch you later. Bye.